Okay, we're live. All right, what's up, guys? John Sintez here, Cass Kreitlow, Cutter Nation podcast. We're back from the depths, number 99. I say this every time, but I wish I threw 99. Um, the great one, the right. Wayne Gretzky episode. Or the wild thing, whichever one you want to go with it, right? Oh, this could man. get a little... Well, we go- got a Minnesota guy on right here, and state of hockey, we're definitely going great one here. All right, so uh, Pat, Casey, everybody. Uh, Pat, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience, uh, let everybody know where you're at, what's going on, and, and you know, floor is yours. Why don't you run with it? Yeah, no problem. I'm Pat Casey. I'm a hitting coach at the University of Minnesota with uh, Golden Gophers up here in the Big Ten Conference. Uh, this will be my eighth year now at Minnesota. Uh, I've been doing the uh, hitting and catching up here now uh, for quite a while. I was actually at the University of St. Thomas, so I went against Cass a few times when I was over there when when he was a he was a pitcher. He was pretty good for Hamlin. And, I can't uh, wait to hear about that. I yeah, I didn't. I didn't, I didn't even it. know that, dude. I was I, when yeah. I played. I was clueless. This is the yeah. infamous right here. I'm I'm, yeah. I'm jacked. I'm excited. Yeah, we actually went against you. Um, I think it was 2011 and 12, if I remember correctly. And then uh, 10 and 11, 10 and 11. And um, we saw you guys in the Mayak tournament. And uh, this was at Minnetonka. And I want to say in 2011, that was the uh, the first time we had lost the tournament. Hamlin had won it. So, yeah, and you were you were pitching. You were tough. Uh, the slider was pretty tough on us. Uh, I remember that day. And I think you had beat us earlier that year, too. So, uh, yeah. We swept you, and I didn't yeah. pitch. We swept you with nobody. I mean, the, if they watch it. They, they just weren't. Uh, we didn't We didn't throw our one and two. We always threw our three and four and yeah. saw what we could do and try to beat everybody else. So Yeah, we. Um, that, that was the year that um, I want to say we – we won the Mayak that year, but then you guys won the tournament. And then we were, yeah, yeah. We, we both went to the regional that same year, but anyways, not to get off track. Um, no, I've been up here in Minnesota for a while. I uh, went to scout school with the Minnesota twins. And so I did some work with them for a while. And then um, I went to Butler university in Indianapolis and um, got an opportunity to come back home here to the university of Minnesota in 2014. And I've been here ever since. And we've had uh had a little success at Minnesota in the meantime, but it's been a pretty good run so far. And uh, that's a little bit background on me. And then I, uh, I guess the other part of it is, is uh, I grew up around the game because my grandfather was the uh, voice of the twins for 44 years. And then my dad was a scout with the twins as well. So that's one of the reasons why I went into scouting. And um, yeah, I got an opportunity to grow up around the game. And uh, ever since then, uh, it's just been uh, a good ride and baseball has been pretty good for me. And uh, this is a awesome opportunity to talk to you guys all the way out on the West Coast here. So I appreciate you guys for having me. No, it's it's been great. Um, I appreciate you, you know, taking some time out of your day, jumping over here and chatting with us because, uh, you know, Cass informed me some stuff. I'm, I feel like we're going to have a really good conversation when we get in, a little bit deeper into the rabbit hole um, on the fun stuff. But um, so the obvious, right? Like, tell me, tell me what Cass Kreitlow was in college. What was the, what was the report on the guy? Right? Like, how does this go? We got to. I mean, this is the first. Thing. I know all of our people want to know. Like, yeah. Hey, let me let me refresh because I know exactly when I threw against St. Thomas better than you would. So I threw against Schald in my junior year, and we were terrible. We didn't make the playoffs. Me and Schald got uh, honorable mentions that year because. I threw a one hitter, nine and two thirds, one hitter. We hit, we three hit you guys and got swept. You made it to the tenth. Yeah, I threw nine. I, I gave up a, a two two slider away, single the other way to your leadoff guy. 
I oh forget. my goodness. I can't believe you remember this, man. This is a long his time ago. Yeah, his, 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 his well, memory is Because then, then I retired, because we just played seven then. And um, it was, so I retired yes. 22 batters in a row, which would have been a perfect game. And I, and then in, this is at our the, place, right? At yeah, this is at your place. It was misty. I, I I biked to the I biked to the game, and Verdugo talks. He always shares this story because he's like, "Bro, that was one of the best D three um, you know pitching things I've ever seen." And my freaking starting pitcher biked home on his nineteen seventy six Schwinn. Um, but yeah, dude, if you guys didn't have Schald, I'm freaking national man. pitcher of the week. Schald is just yeah, no so that was the first time yeah. I faced you guys, and then. Uh, and then, um, and then the last year, it was just in the conference tournament. So I, I don't think I threw okay. besides those two. I, so anyway, that was that's it. pretty. Crazy. I just wanted I, to I, let you know because I, I only did, threw. Yeah, I barely remember that man. That's that's unbelievable that uh, you remember. But to answer your question, I mean, he uh, he was tough. He threw pretty hard. He had a good slider, and I mean, he'll tell you. I mean, Division Three baseball in Minnesota is, is really really good. I mean, our Mayak conference then was really good. We had a pitcher at uh, McAllister. I don't know if you remember him, Cass, but he was really good, too. Schultz, obviously, was Our, really good. I forget sorry. his name. No, 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 James. go ahead. I've, yeah. Of course. Yeah, so, uh, he knows it. Yeah. Dude, I went to, so this is crazy. I went to McAllister on a visit because a buddy of high school went there, and I was – I forget James's last name, but he's from Chicago – had no – he did not belong in our thing, but he, he had like a 34 on his ACT. And, um, gosh, yeah, he was, yeah. I think he was a year older than me and was there the whole time. I mean, you know what I mean? But, um, yeah, yeah he James, was really good, really good. And then my senior year, you had said that you guys won the conference. You guys were 16 and four. McAllister was 16 and four and we were 15 and five. That shit never happens. And I can't believe so you remember parody. that, man. Yeah. Dude, it's my senior year. I was playing. Yeah, that is unbelievable. And, um, you remember the bad ones, the ones that really sting, you know, those McAllister don't go away. Had a, that's... McAllister had a pus thrower that was leading the nation in ERA, and the dude didn't hit eighty, and he was throw, but he threw three pitches. A lefty, and, yeah, a little lefty, yeah, yeah. Or something like that. I remember that, yeah. Is real. Then that was the first year they had the little cage set in. Um, yeah, that was. Yep. I had I had one loss that year against Buena Vista, and then you guys, uh, McAllister was a no decision for me, because yeah. Okay. Anyway, anyway, yeah. But he was tough, man. To answer your question, he he was not easy. I mean, Hamlin, that those two years, they even the seven seven inning game. Now that you say that, it brings back some memories. But they were tough under Verdugo. He had a good head coach there, and uh, they had some pretty good players. And uh, I mean, Schultz went on to go. I think he ended up in Double A because I'd I'd just saw him a few years ago because I was in his wedding. And um, I mean, he was another guy that probably didn't belong in Division Three. I mean, neither did you. And it just, I mean, it's a really good conference. And uh, that, that's why there's so many teams from Minnesota, Wisconsin that ended up in the regional. It was just really good baseball. And that was kind of my springboard into getting involved because I wanted to go into scouting a little bit. I, I was involved in doing some lessons in, uh, in Minnesota at the time. And that I was just finishing up my undergrad and graduate at St. Thomas. And um, it was just an opportunity to get involved. And uh, kind of like you, Cass, I mean, there are really good schools in the Mayak, obviously McAllister, Hamlin, St. Thomas, St. Olaf and whatnot. So I finished my degrees there and uh, kind of sprung into uh, working with the twins and then ultimately got a job in the Northwoods League there. And uh, that kind of just kind of pushed me into the game, so to speak. So it's uh, I, I know we're going to get that because I, I haven't been here forever. I just last thing about Mayak baseball and then I'm done, I promise. 
Of course, I'll, I I'm not done. I already have. I have I, questions. Okay, tell tell us about that Saint Olaf team in 2010 and you guys winning. Or uh, what? It no, was nine. Yeah, yeah, it nine, was 2009. Nine, nine. Tell because that's the best team. I, I no offense, but that was the best team. Most people said that was the best team they ever saw in the Mayak, and you guys. Yes, it was. They were they were loaded, and in fact, we were not even that good in 2009 when we won the national championship. We um. We, they killed us. They absolutely destroyed us in the Mayak tournament. And that was at Dundas, Port Moves, Minnetonka. Yeah. And they absolutely killed us. I mean, they I want to say they beat us like 16 to 2 in, um, in the conference championship game in the tournament there. And then we ended up in the same region together at Oshkosh. And we went out there. And I want to say, I want to say they beat us. And it was a close game. It was a little bit closer. And then we went into the last day and we had to beat them twice. And somehow we did. We threw Dan Leslie, who hadn't thrown the entire year. He hadn't thrown since he was like a freshman and he was unbelievable. And we just swept them that last day. And it was a historic day for our program and obviously not as good for St. Olaf. But, um, yeah, they were unbelievable. They had the um, – it, it was something last name was Todd. He, he was shortstop and he also a right-handed pitcher. He was really good. And um, – <sighs> We, we got lucky, Matt. We just played really Matheson. well that last day. Matheson. That was – yeah, there you go. Todd Matheson, that's who it was. He played short and he also – Yeah, and then short. he went and played indie ball with the Saints. And I, yep. he, I, I'm pretty sure he hit way more than he pitched with Olaf. He if I, yeah. And then he's a starter for the Saints. Yep, and then they had the Jones like, brothers, I want to say. They had two yeah. – uh, both from Northfield. They were both really yep. good. So, um, yeah, that that team was loaded. They They were really, really good. Um, St. Olaf was really good there in the uh, mid to late 2000s, and it, we just got lucky, man. And um, it, it was uh, a pretty good run, and then uh, we went back to World Series in 2013, and, and um, or I'm sorry, 2012, uh, my last year at St. Thomas. Then I think they went back the following year when I was with the Twins, and um, so it was, it was a good run. I mean, we, we got a good opportunity to do that, but uh, now I'd like to go to Omaha and to, division one world series i think that would be the kind of the pinnacle of you know what you can really accomplish so um yeah, yeah. But yeah good 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 times it was a good run there at st thomas really good i i cut you off when you were saying northwoods uh where'd you coach in the northwoods uh waterloo i coached there for three years i was the uh, coach of the year there in 2013 and it's Ooh. actually what uh it it, it kind of pushed because at the time i was working for the twins and so uh, they had given me kind of the free reign to do the stuff in the Northwoods League. And so they they allowed me to do the coverage and coach at the exact same time. And we had this unbelievable season. We won 51 games. It was unbelievable. It was really cool. And hey, I hey, what do getting, you say? Yeah, that's exactly what it was. So uh, um, we, we, uh, we broke those records, and it uh, was a great year. And then we had three kids on the team from Butler. And then they wanted me to be their hitting coach. So I went to Butler and then the Minnesota job just sprung open uh, in December of that year. And then our head coach at Butler had also played for the Gophers and he kind of pushed me to take it. He's like, I don't know if this is ever going to open again. You should see if you you know, can get it. I don't know if I would do this if it was Indiana and it just happened to work out and I uh, got a chance to come home and uh, been here ever since now. So it was a pretty cool deal. Where'd you go to high school? Academy of Holy Angels. Out in Richfield. Those, there. So I'm from Bloomington. Stars. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, so, uh, fun, fun fact, I got into coaching because I did the Dan Gladden baseball camp. That's where oh, it really? all started okay. with Gene no Larkin. Shit. Okay, and, yeah. yeah, yeah, right down the street from me. I live in Bloomington now, so um, yeah, those guys are right down the street. We have some guys that still do a lot of work with uh, with with uh, Gino and uh, some of those guys out in Prairie. So it, uh, yeah, pretty good deal there, man. Love it. Right on. Uh, so I have some some really good questions for you because um, I'm always intrigued about how the evaluation works and the different levels of NCA. I was a D2 guy. You're coaching at D1. Both of you guys played D3. Now, in my experience of the vast range of um, baseball players that I've played with and against, like to me, like I, I just can't see a difference sometimes in some of these D1 to D3 guys when it comes to how they play the game. Um, Cass always talks about how good the baseball was. I, I know the level of baseball that I was around in Florida, the D2 school that I was at, um, and then playing professionally, looking at some of these D1 type guys. Could you give me, could you shed some light on, you know, what you see the difference in, you know, your perspective of, of a D1 guy to a D3 guy? And maybe, you know, especially since you played there, because it's probably easy for you to see it. Yeah. Yeah, I think for for me, um, and it's actually I actually played at the University of North Dakota, and then I I finished out my two degrees at the same time. So I'm actually played D two, coached, started out D three, and then and ended up here at Minnesota. But um, no, I know exactly what you mean. I would say the biggest thing is probably the tools. I, I would say, and you know, at the Division three level, you're going to run into some kids that have one or two of those tools. You know, you're going to get some guys that can really hit, maybe some guys that control pretty hard. Uh, but very rarely are you going to have a guy on the pitching side of things that's going to have a three pitch mix, or is going to be a guy that has fastball and fastball command at the same time. So like we had a, um, we had a, a first round pick this last year. It's a number three overall pick Max Meyer to the Miami Marlins. And Max had three things that most high school pitchers in Minnesota don't have. He had fastball. He had a fastball that was at the time, 92 to 94, he had fastball command, but he also had a slider or a cutter um, that nobody could hit. And so he had three things right there that you know, you're not going to see very often in, uh, in Minnesota pitchers. And our pitchers up here usually take a little bit longer to develop just because they're not outside. We don't have the weather that they do out there in California. So our guys are playing multiple sports. And those tools take a little bit longer to develop, especially on the mound. So I would say that the tools are usually the thing that separates most of them. And then really the pedigree of the player. Uh, when you're looking at position players, if you look at West Coast kids, you look at Arizona kids, kids from Oregon, even those kids, there's so much more polished defensively. There's so much more prudent to play. Like they have an idea of an approach. Uh, they're more professional and the position players out there just they're ahead of our kids out here in the Midwest just because they played more and they they played better baseball and so sometimes that factors into it as well and you can just tell like they just have you know a different way that they go about the game yeah, to how they prepare to how they carry themselves on the field and that type of pedigree is is tough to find for kids up here in Minnesota we're, we're always going to produce really good arms whether it be Cass or Matt Shoulder or whomever, um, you know, we're going to have some pretty good arms up here, but finding really good position players is, uh, is tough to find at certain points. And 
I, I would really say that the tools are the toughest thing to disseminate against uh, between even kids at Minnesota, kids in Illinois, kids in Ohio, just all throughout the country. The position players are the, really the hardest thing to evaluate, I would say. It's hard to project, project like what they're going to, how they know the game and stuff, right? I guess that would be, that'd be really big to like experience level at, at right. that level of difficulty, right? That, it's funny that you say that because that's exactly how we look at it too, especially on yes. like the game yeah. side of what we're trying to, to teach over here. Um, we'll be getting uh, our new facility here soon and, and right. live at bats to me seem to be the most important thing of the game. You know, you if you break it down to the fundamental level, you got to be able to do one of those two things on there. You got to be able to hit or pitch. And so, you know, that basically is the game. That's as, right. as fundamental as you can get to it. So I understand what you're saying on that. And my history of looking at the athletes and trying to figure out, you know, is this guy a D1? Like you're saying, the tools, a lot of the evaluation systems have, have increased you know how easy it is you can see a kid's top exit velo and stuff or you know what a 60 time is and and how that translates to what you know if he's going to be a runner you know if a kid's only got 70 70 exit velo but he's a 64 guy you know i mean that sounds like a slap slap double guy if i've ever heard one you know right. so um on, on the technology side of that is that is yeah. that something you guys bring up and, and um, you try to evaluate Yeah, one of the things I was going to say is getting back to the evaluation piece of it is you identify the athletes on the front end that can obviously play, the guys that can hit, run, catch, throw, hit for some power and whatnot. And then you start getting into the metrical side of it. But before I get into that, like one of the things that we really look for are the kids, and this is kind of a phrase that we've used more often than not now, has been, you know, who are the kids that are the dominating players? Who are the kids that go into competition and they dominate that level. And the kids that, you know, maybe they don't have the best tools, but you find the kids that are the best competitors and the best ball players, so to speak. And that's one thing that we've caught ourselves finding more and more of and looking more and more of are the kids that, you know, who's the best player on the field? And being that you played pro ball, when you go out and you watch a kid play, I'm sure you can tell right away who the best player on that field is just by the right. way they carry themselves you know, where they are in the lineup, you know, where they're playing on the field. And, and, and you can just tell, like, they just, they carry themselves a certain way. And then usually their numbers, their performances back that up. But, you know, to get back to the medical side of it, we, we use everything at our prospect camps to evaluate these kids. That's usually the best time you can do it. Cause we, you're not going to get track men on these data, uh, track, track men data on these kids from their high school fields. Uh, you're you're going to be able to get some of that from PBR and Perfect Game. But for the most part, you're going to try and get them at, at your prospect camp. You're going to get blast on them. You're going to try and get your track man data on them, hit tracks, uh, try and hook them up to K-Vest and try and see the way that their body moves. We're going to try and put them on Rapsodo hitting or Rapsodo pitching and try and see their spin metrics and try and see their exit below and you know try and see how they spin the ball as hitters and whatnot and you use all that information but at the end of the day can they play and at the end of the day are they going to be able to step into your program and be good character kids and at the same time be able to help you win and we've gotten kids in our program that are i mean metrical phenom people i, I i've got kids that have hit the ball 110 miles an hour in our cages and have you know put excellent spin on the ball but at the end of the day they can't play and they can't compete 
And we see guys like that all the time. I'm sure in pro ball, you, you saw guys like that, that could hit the ball 450, 500 feet in BP, but you get them into a game and they can't t- touch a left-handed breaking ball and, you know, they can't get the job done and, you know, in the clutch. And ultimately at the end of the day, you want that guy that's a competitor, that's a gamer. Um, yeah, there's some good examples out there in you know, big league baseball today, like guys like El Tuve or Madrigal. I know he's a, I think he's Northern California, Southern California kid. We played against him in the uh, super regional. Um, obviously he's got some tools, but I mean, that kid was a gamer. And I think that's one of the things that good programs like Oregon state do is they identify kids like that, that not only have tools, but that are gamers and those guys ultimately win you games. And those are the guys that you're charged to find. Uh, metrics or, or not, but uh, you just want those guys that know how to win games and uh, guys that are going to help you win. Um, so uh, that, that's really what we're looking for right now. And, uh, you know, it's it, it can be a challenge, especially up here in Minnesota. So once I was just, I'm going to, I was going to say what, once you get them in, what, what are you doing? But if you had something, John, you wanted to add. No, I, I love that you know, it's a philosophy that we talk about that. And it's refreshing that I don't hear that very much, right? Like you, you, the thing, what you see online with a lot of the stuff with the kids is, is the top 10 leaderboard, right? I, I had a couple of buddies of mine that used to be some coaches in the Florida area. And they would talk about, you know, we, we, if we didn't even go to the tournament at the perfect game thing, when they started that whole database, you could just follow the kid through his journey and what it was. And you could see like, you know, he was 86, he was 86, he was 88, you know, and just from there. And a lot of them are, are being right. found through, you know, blowing up the radar gun first. And then, you know, I had a buddy that had a formula of uh, top 10 on velocity, top 10 on strikeouts, and then um, top 10 on ERA. And he would try to like, see if he could find a correlation between those, you know, just to start a list, right, of, of who are these people, you know, coming in on right. and how they can get information on them. So, you know, it, it, to, to hear that side of it, because that's all we talk about is like, I don't, you, you can't hit 110 exit velo every time. Like it, it, it just doesn't work that way, right? right? The game is too hard when you know what it is. And you right. know, you're, you're not familiar with our style of pitching and stuff, but you know, I'm trying to go Scherzer Maddox basically. So I'm spinning it, running it, doing everything I can to make it impossible for you to sure. hit this thing. Right. And so, you know, learning the game right. to us is just so important. Like you have to learn how to win. Like we, th- what do you think about this concept? Cause Cass and I were talking about the other day, you know, as a pitcher, all you need is 27 outs, it, you know, 21, if you want to go there. Right. But the longer the streak right. that you can have, the longer right. Cass Kreitlow can get like 12, 13, 14 guys in a row to start the game, you know, the, the more frustrated you're probably going to be and the and the, the dip, more difficult of a chance you're going to be able to go. Oh, and the yeah. reason why we're bringing this up is because it's like nobody's even trying. It's like, wh- what are we doing? Like, why, why are we trying to pitch to contact? Why are yeah. we trying to throw a perfect game every single time? And and both of us have very distinct memories of like and, – and this I didn't figure this out in college. Like, I was playing amateur baseball and coaching, and I'm like, oh, ah, ha, ha. So, like, 2014, I was like – I don't want to give up a hit. And I threw two no, or two one hitters that summer. Like I never tried to be that dominant. And as soon as I like went into that with that kind of focus, it was like, I refuse to give it up. And it's just weird that it's not more common, right? What's the, what's the worst thing that could happen? So I'll, I'll say this. I think it's just yeah. simply like, it's, it's the expectation I, that you yeah. fail. You know what I mean? That's like the fear of failure. Go ahead. 
Yeah. No, no. What I was going to say is it's, it's funny you bring that up about pitching because we have that same type of philosophy in hitting is why can you not go into a season and think you're not capable of hitting 400 to 450 or you go into every game and you're trying to, as an offense, trying to get 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 hits every single game. And that should be, you talked about the expectation, the mental mindset going in is, you know, wh- why don't we think more like that? Why don't we think more, you know, four dimensional when it comes to hitting? Like we can do more than what we're doing right now. There, There's significantly more that we can achieve as athletes and that we train ourselves to do. But our expectation level, especially at the baseline, you know, you look around a lot of these training facilities nobody preaches approach nobody preaches offense philosophy or things like that and we get into the mindset that we can only achieve so much as hitters because we fail so much of the time and that's 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 true but our expectations and our goals are so low and i know exactly what you're talking about in that front that you know as pitchers why are we not trying to go out every single time and throw a perfect game and i think the same thing pertains to hitters why don't we have that same type of mindset and those expectations for ourselves as athletes and i i know i couldn't agree with you more i think that's uh exactly the same type of philosophy right like if you had a dude on the mound right if you had a dude on the mound he came out and like struck out six and went 12 guys in a row to start the game like we should be sitting pretty pretty right like we should be in the fifth right pretty been through the been through the you know the lineup one and a half times Right. Probably shown a bunch of pitches, done some good stuff. Haven't had any hard hit balls. Right. Even if you walk a guy. Right. right, And you went nine in a row and then you got a double play. Like, okay, it never really happened. You're still back to your streak. You know what I mean? Right. Right. So like just trying to put trying to understand, like connecting it is something that we've we've asked questions a lot today. Where, where, you know, I, I just when I talk to some of these people and we watch Major League Baseball or you watch some of the other stuff, there's just questions that when I played, I remember asking and be like, why can't I just strike out every person I face? Oh, well, you'll throw too many pitches. Yeah. Well, what if I just do it in three pitches or four? Right. right? Yeah. Like I just never it just never made sense. Yeah, to me. It was like, exactly. you're just telling like, you're just telling me I can't do it. I don't know. Like, I'm pretty sure if I right. throw a banger on the first pitch and you cheat and you top it, you should be out like you should be out. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So you guys are talking about going against really the status quo of what people are teaching today and the mindset and the expectations that go into athletes and really looking at things from a different perspective is what you're talking about. Like, like a strategy, like let's teach nine-year-olds to not give up hits and just have that be their idea the rest of their life. Like, why would you let someone hit it? I just don't understand. Right. You see it all the time. Big games in the Padres. We're following the Padres, obviously, over here, right? Big game for the Padres, right? They're yeah. playing the Dodgers. And we're throwing 2 fastballs at Jock Peterson. And I'm going, like, what is going on? Who is telling these people to do this stuff, right? If you're playing any video game and you right. push fastball right. 2-0 and Jock Peterson's up there, you're like, what are you doing? You know, like, it just doesn't yeah, make exactly. sense. There's just so many right. other ways to do it, you know? Sure. Yeah. No, I know exactly what you're talking about. And, uh yeah, that different type of thinking is what the game needs. And uh, it's it's the guys like that that ultimately push the game forward. And I, I always tell our guys, too, if you're you're doing it like everybody else, you're probably doing it wrong. So I think thinking differently and finding different ways to do things is, uh, I mean, really the way that you make your mark. And uh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that there's way too many people out there today that try and just do what everybody else does instead of finding their own 
way to do things and get guys to think differently. I think what you're doing is right. So, uh, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And it's almost like it's not necessarily always I'm doing what everybody else is because I'm lazy. It's like I'm doing what everybody else is doing because I think that's the expectation, right? You know, and so like you you play right. in a program yeah. that coaches a certain way and plays the game a certain way. And we're all guilty of this, I feel like, right? Where we're like, oh, yeah, well, I'm just saying this because I, I feel like that's the right way to play. And, and obviously as you evolve as a coach, you start recognizing things, things like it's like, you know, I, I think the best thing about me being from Minnesota, from a baseball experience standpoint is I literally didn't get coached. Right. And so probably the most fulfilling thing that I had as a kid was playing VFW baseball and we dominated. And I remember I I've said, said this story many times, I won't go too deep, but it was just like, I had a guy question i had one of my other coaches from another sport say what is that what did those vfw coaches ever teach you i'm like and i didn't have an answer i'm a sophomore in high school i'm like i I don't know he's like see the bad coaches and now i look back i'm like bro i never had a pitch called for me in high school ever and then when i got to hamlin it's like every single pitch is being called for me and i made up this is so psycho i made up in my head that i called my own pitches like i believe that i did and i went back and i when i started coaching at hamlin in 2015 they're like uh, no, we called everything. Like we have vivid memories of you shaking us off and us getting pissed off because you didn't do it. Right. But then when, to that point, I had people telling me the whole time, once I got to college, you have to establish your fastball. You have to establish your fastball. And the coaches were like, oh yeah, when we learned that you were better when you threw more breaking balls, then you were great. I'm like, how is that? How did that take you three years to learn that? You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. it, it's crazy. Um, so Anyway, I want to I want to I want to get going into the development side because uh, and I don't know that a lot of people recognize this. I don't even know the details, but I know that the Gophers have been playing some damn good baseball lately. So you've been there a little bit over this transformation. So we talked about how you're evaluating guys, how you're getting them in there. What are you doing once you get them in there to have the success that you guys have been having? Well, I think the first thing is you got to take them through yeah, a standard movement assessment that we do with all of our guys. And from a, a hitting standpoint, we like to just try and get all their metrics out of the way right away. So we'll get them on blast. We'll get them on hit tracks. We'll get them on K motion. We'll get them on rap soto hitting and we'll find out what they do. And we'll just, we'll get a baseline just right then and there. But from there, really what I like to do is I like to see where they're at. And I like to, cause I, I mean, obviously as a recruiting coordinator here, you know, you bring these guys in with, a certain level of understanding of how they're going to fit into your offense. And one of the things that I've tried to do over the last couple of years is really put forth some expectations of what our offensive philosophy is going to be, what it looks like and how each player is going to fit into that individually. And so we call it, we call it our Wolfpack offense where we give everybody a role, you know, everybody has a mindset and we let those guys try and as athletes try and fit into that mindset and that mold of, of what we're trying to do. And we'll put them through these movement assessments through K motion blast. And then from there, we'll take that data. We'll find out how they move. We'll find out what they do, what they do well, what they don't do well. And then we'll put together a routine and a plan for them every single day that they're working on, you know, med ball throws or PVC pipe, or, you know, they got to work on the uh, core velocity belts. You know, they got to get, yeah, more thrust with their hips. They got to, you know, work on more torque, uh, shoulder and hip separation, things like that, flexibility, balance. I mean, whatever it might be. And I think 
what I've found to just simplify it is you're going to have 17, 18 hitters. They're all going to be completely different athletes. They're all going to have completely different stances, approaches, and they're all going to be very, very unique in their own way. And the one thing that I've found is you can't coach this hitter like you're going to coach that hitter. They all have to be entirely different. The swings have to be designed entirely different. It has to be very individual. And it's really hard to do that because uh, you're taking a number of different guys and you're trying to basically come up with a very individualized plan with them. But at the end of the day, coaching them like that is ultimately what leads to increased development, in my opinion, instead of just taking a guy and trying to mold them into a cookie cutter way of, of hitting. And so, you know, for example, you're not going to take a guy like a, I'm trying to think of a guy from Hamlin that we could, uh, um, you know, you remember Donald Blunt, you remember that yeah. name from yeah. Oxford? You yeah. Remember that? Yeah. So yep. I'm not going to take a guy like that and uh try and get him to hit like your catcher that was from iowa uh you had a junior college yeah, catcher ben, back then ben richardson yeah there you go yeah there there you go so um you know you're not going to try and make those two guys the exact same you're going to give them both completely different routines you're going to give them a completely different structure and as long as they fit within the framework of your team and what you want the guys to accomplish and you set those those pillars right away of Hey, this is what we want you to do, you know, and as long as you're going to stay within this philosophy, within this mindset, you know, you'll fit into what we're trying to do here. And so a, a big part of this is communication. I think communication and finding the relationship with the player is huge and getting them to educate themselves on this is why we want you doing it. This is you know what I see. This is, you know, what the video shows us. This is what the metrics show us. But, you know, what do you think? And trying to have those conversations with them and develop that relationship and give them that understanding of you know, why we're doing this is, is really what I've found has been kind of the breakthrough. And it sounds super easy, you know, just having relationships with players, but I think sitting down with them and, and really having that intimate relationship with them about multiple other, you know, whatever it might be, you know, their personal life, uh, school, academics, you know, their own relationships that they're involved in. I think having those those talks with them and also bringing that back full circle to hitting, I, I think that that has a big impact on them. And they know that you care about them as people and you develop that trust. And I've found that to be the most beneficial factor, I feel like, in terms of getting through to them but also increasing their development at the same time. I think that's been really big for, for me. Is it weird that I am thinking of PJ Fleck when you're talking about relationships? And <laughs> tell us a little I, bit about. I I just saw him actually not too long ago driving away. So, uh, uh, no, I, I didn't even think about him to be perfectly honest with you. But uh, I was um, I was just curious. Like, do you guys have a relationship? Is there something like just so for 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 the two cents? My two cents on this. I know nothing about him. My best friend Weston Germain is from Michigan, absolutely loves PJ Fleck. And I just watched his end of the year con uh, conference, uh, excuse me, the end of the year thing. And I'm like, this dude is exactly who he says he is. And, yeah. and I can see yeah. that, like that part of it, the, I mean, the, the Gopher football program for the record, I don't know. I don't imagine a lot of our, our, our watchers are watching Minnesota Gopher football. No offense, but dude, the dude is 
unbelievable. And I can't imagine playing for that guy. Like I would, I would run through so many freaking walls for a guy like that. And yeah. and I'm curious, like how, how much of that, just like, does that have any effect? Like, are these football players, are you guys hanging out with the baseball players? Is that, is this something that culturally as a, as a Minnesota program in general, you're starting to see this? Cause I mean, it's not a, it's not a secret that the Gophers haven't been the most dominant force in the big 10 for anything besides right. hockey. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, baseball, hockey have been really the two big things here, but I mean, with football really taking off this last year is definitely, uh, uh, opened some eyes because they, they did not start out like that under, uh, under PJ when he, when he first got here and he had to build it from the ground up essentially. But, uh, it's, it's interesting. You bring that up. We've always had a family atmosphere here and, you know, I think as, as time goes on, you can learn from just about any coach, right? I mean, whether it's hockey, football, basketball, baseball, whatever. And I mean, I've listened to him talk and just like you have, he's incredibly inspirational. He has the respect of his players. And that's something right off the bat. I think that gets you is that all the players listen to him. They've all bought in. And how do you get them to do that? Well, you got to talk to him. You got to be able to relate to him. And that was really the first thing that I took away from him was how do you relate to kids as you continually get older? Cause you know, you and I, we're going to get older. We're going to get up there one day to 40 and 50. I mean, not thrilled about it, but you know, how, how do we continue to make ourselves relevant and relate to them? And it's through music, it's through movies, it's through, you know, what's going on out there today. And if you can do those things and you can still be relevant and you can touch base with them. I mean, it could be something as simple as fantasy football. I mean, whatever it might be, I think having those relationships is key to development. I, I really do. And he's right in the thick with those guys all the time. You know, he's part of the team. I mean, he's not separate. And I've always believed in that. I mean, going back to our time at St. Thomas, our coaching staff was really close with our players. We did everything with them. And I think that the separation barrier between, Hey, he's the player, he's a coach, you know, you, you guys, you know, have to be completely separate. There has to be a totally different relationship. I think that is very old school way of looking at coaching. And it's one of the things that I never agreed with. And I look at it in terms of, yeah, you, you, there still needs to be discipline. There still needs to be that, that separation. Like you're not going out to the bars with them and stuff like that. Like that's not what I'm talking about. Yeah, it, but there there needs to be something there where we have that communication and we have this relationship where you're going to call me at three o'clock in the morning when something is wrong because you trust me and that's going to lead over into our hitting talks or pitching or whatever it might be. And that trust factor is huge. I mean, that provides the basis for everything moving forward. And I think he's spot on about that and family relationships, whatever you want to call them, I think it's the key to everything. I think it's the, the starting off point for everything to talk about mechanics, biomechanics, whatever you want to get into as far as hitting technology. And they're not going to listen to you unless they know that you respect them and that you care about them. And I've always come to the point where nobody is going to follow you. Nobody is going to listen to you unless they like you and they trust you. And you're not going to be able to get to that without a relationship. So, um, no, I'm all I, I'm I'm in on what he talks about because I think he's I think he's spot on. I think he's right. 
I, I, I thought John was going to jump in there because I know uh, the, the coach thing, like one of the first things when I started working with John was he's like, nobody calls us coach. None of our kids get to call us coach. I do the exact same thing, man. I'm with you. I, I don't let my guys call me coach either. So you and I are on the same page with that. Yeah. It, it's, <clears throat> I, the idea came from uh, a thing that I'd heard a long time ago about uh, if you call your manager or coach in pro ball, it's a $10,000 fine. Because the concept is uh, we're all baseball players. I'm just an old guy. That's all it yeah. is. Right. Yeah. So like, you I know, like that. you know, and the militarization of coaching is the worst thing that ever happened to me. It's yeah. all I it's all I got. It was yes, sir. No, sir. Do it. Do what You tell me to do buy in, be the guy. Right. And I was the guy right. so much that I broke my elbow. Like the joke on our team, my senior year is that the head coach was our dad. And then he ends up cussing me out saying that I faked my arm injury. I'm like, what are you talking about? Ball went 10 feet. There was a loud pop and it went 10 feet to the right. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. So, you know, I, the bad taste in my mouth on that, it just makes it so much easier to talk to some of the kids and really give them actual advice to like navigate this because there's a lot of kids that, don't didn't get the right information to get the tools early enough. And you can give them a, a, a fair shake if they actually want to make a run at pro ball, if they know right. how to get there. And I don't right. think most people know how to get there. No. So, so I, I, I spot on. This, this is a interesting analogy as I'm known for. Um, so I played jazz band at Hamlin and my instructor. Um, Musician. <laughs> <laughs> know your scales. Um, <laughs> Dude, I'm totally blanking on my analogy. Here we go. Never mind. Moving on. <laughs> it, it was some. It was some sort of expectation thing, and it's like I just wanted to play, and and the the amount. Oh, this is a, this is what it was. So we weren't very good. Hamlin, you don't go to Hamlin to play music. Like I just happened to go to Hamlin, and I happened to be good at trumpet, and um, and so when we would go to competitions, we'd go to the Eau Claire Jazz Fest. Dude, Eau Claire is fantastic. Like these are some of the best uh, bands in the country, and and we're going there, and we have no chance. We're like one of the worst bands there. And so what you do when you're not good is you're not hitting the notes, right? You're literally missing half the notes. And so he would tell us to be super quiet, and then really loud, and then kind of medium, and then really loud, and then soft. So like it's just covering it up. So I think about the same thing as like. For, for the Midwest, I you know John talks about the militarization, and it's here in San Diego because literally it's a military town. But in the Midwest, I think it's one of the fastest ways to get better baseball. And the problem is, is that's such a quick fix as opposed to playing the long game, right? right? So the quick fix is like if you can have tight practices and organize the crap out of them, and like have some systems in place that allow kids to have some expectations, you're going to get a better product like now. Right. Like in two, three weeks, if you can have kids like knowing how to follow that. But again, it's just about the long game. And it's like that that going back to the band guy, it's like he was I quit that because he was such a dick to me. Great guy. If I, I, I ran into him after I graduated. Great, fantastic dude. But his expectations were not to get to know me and understand why I wasn't playing as, as well as I could have. Right. Like it was just simply you're not practicing you're not you're not showing up for me and it was shame shame yeah. shame shame it's like bro inspire me to play music more than just like telling me how bad i am <laughs> yeah exactly that i think you so, use the word inspire yeah that's i mean that's everything is right i mean how how do you motivate kids it, you have to inspire them and 
it's it's an art it really is and uh you know we talk about relationships I, there has to be a mutual level of respect there that i mean he's, he's spot on when, when you say it like we're in there with with everybody like we're all baseball players here and that's the way that it should be and i think that's where you get the best team chemistry and you get guys that are going to really buy into what you're trying to say and like you said i mean it's all about having a good experience and having trust in that guy because if you had trust in him and he was you know halfway decent human being to you you probably would have never quit and things would have been entirely different i'm sure and i would have been found a way to practice more like it's just those things like there were there were opportunities for me to clean i mean ever you always got time we all know this right like there's always more time and yeah. and it, there were certain ways that you know I wasn't the calendar guy. I never was the, you know, put my things in a schedule. And so anyway, I, I, we don't need to keep talking about my music career. Um, and, um, but I do want to ask you, okay, so you got the kids in, you, you got their swing, you, you have them understanding which part of the wolf pack they are. Okay. But how are you, how are you teaching them to have bats? Like you, you did touch on this already a little bit, but tell us a little bit about how you're having them compete. What are you having them look for? And I alluded to it the other last night, just about the fast, slow kind of concepts, but kind of what's your version of that? Well, it starts with approach uh, before it really starts about getting into mechanics, because, you know, as we talked about a little bit last night, you know, everybody's bodies are different. Everybody's going to move a little bit differently depending on, you know, the type of shoulder and hip separation that they have. Uh, you know, pitch recognition is a big, big thing too. You know, how the brain acts with the rest of the body and how they're able to, you know, use different aspects of their body, whether it be balance, um, the mobility, uh, hip and shoulder separation, I mean, a ton of different things, right? But you know, for me, the biggest thing comes down to approach. And so we have three things that we have all of them do, regardless of mechanics, regardless of really ability level, they have to be aggressive once they get in the box, that, bar, bar none, they have to be aggressive. And so I want guys, as soon as they get in the box, they're not looking to walk. And I know some people probably won't agree with that, but I mean, for me, especially at this level, I'm just, I'm about guys getting in there and being aggressive. And you can't the walk off the island. No, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot yeah. walk off the island. It's, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And the way that guys are being taught today, I mean, so everything that you guys are talking about pitching wise, basically I'm reversing that and I'm trying to throw it right back at you guys. So I'm, I mean, I'm talking to two pitchers here. So, I mean, you can, you can get on me if you want, but, uh, uh, the, the big thing is, uh, First of all, being aggressive as soon as you get in the box. And then the second thing, you have to get on time with the fastball. Everything we do from a training perspective is geared around hitting fastballs. And so today, you know, we just got done with our guys a little bit ago here. And our machine was getting up to 105, 106 miles an hour with a, with a high spin rate. They've got, to be able to, they've got to be able to master that. They have to be able to. And we set the, the e-hacks in there. We have outstanding e-hacks and student managers that program those things. They're throwing cutters with ridiculous spin rates. They're throwing change-ups, breaking balls that are 12-6 that you wouldn't see I mean, anywhere in baseball. And granted, it's unrealistic, but they have to be able to manage that. And for me, it's all about slowing that process down with the brain and getting them to understand that the way that their body moves and the way that it self-organizes, you know, I want to put them in situations that are almost impossible. So when they get into a game, it's a little bit easier. It's a game of failure. So I want them to fail as much as possible. So I'm getting off, tra I'm getting off track here, but 
being aggressive. No, you're not. Keep going. Being on, right on track, bro. Yeah, yeah, right on right. track. Yeah. You are just medi- it's, you're just putting this thing up for me right now. I'm ready. Yeah. I'm so excited. <laughs> it's uh so the three big things were being aggressive, uh being on time with a fastball, and then having a two strike approach. And so, you know, for you guys, you talk about I know pitchers that that's bar bar none. The number one thing they want to do is strike guys out. And the number one thing that we've been really, really good at here since I've been here is our guys have struck out the least amount, at least when we've led the Big Ten in hitting, which has been 2016, 2017, 2018. We led uh, in most offensive categories in all three of those years. And then last year, uh, we led in hits and, I don't know, something else before we got banged. We led in four or five categories. But anyways, when we're a really good team, we're the we're the team that strikes out the least. And we're absolute – I don't want to use a uh, four-letter word here, but we're just pests with two strikes you can, and we're not we, censored here you're good okay you can, you, right. can, you can let it you can let it run right okay. you, you got it you got to what you're talking about is some some real fun right yeah now. you're talking and sometimes hey. things get said in the middle of real jo- fun. johnny sintez well, is trying to end your fucking life right like <laughs> right like i'm coming for you, you dude like it, it's so funny that you said so um let's talk a little strategy right there because that's basically yeah. those big three right there for what right. you're doing um and, and my favorite part about this right here and I, and I don't know if you've ever thought of this or has anybody said to this to you but as a an adult pitcher one of my things that that we've kind of done is I've gone back to some of these college tournaments and pitched in it I pitched in the NBC World Series the past two years um at 34 thank you very much guys appreciate it so much so that they like called my name out and like said my age when I was starting on the first game and like I used it as fuel to like yell at the other team while I was doing it. So yeah. the game that you see um, that is allowed, right? And I always say this about younger kids. If we had no adults, no umpires, no coaches, and everybody played the game, we would see a different game. It would be oh, way yeah. more fun, right? Yeah. There'd be It'd be kind of what we're seeing right now in the big leagues where there's no fans. We got hot mics. People are saying stuff that you're not used to hearing, right? <laughs> but we're – but but – we all know when we get in it and we've seen that dude on the mound and I come out and I go punchy, punchy, punchy to start the game. And I'm walking off the field, staring in your dugout, wondering what you're going to do. There's a different level there. There's a oh, different 100%. idea. Yes. Oh yeah. Right. Yep. And oh, so, 100%. so that, that fun part of the game, the, the, what I like to say is, is um, the strategy, right? So one of my favorite things about looking back and, and looking what I've, you know, you just got to learn and adapt and learn and adapt in every situation is, is the college game. Right. right. And so it's obvious to me that like, and I don't want to call any colleges out, but I'll, I'll just be as vague as I can. But if I know what your entire offensive strategy is like being aggressive, hunting fastballs, uh, knowing what my O2 pitches are, I'm pretty sure I can dial up a game plan ahead of this to, oh, yeah. to be able to yep. combat this. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, or at least, or at least just put something forward. Is that, is that something that you've seen too? I know you talked about a lot of individualization is too. And granted, you know, you can only have so many pitches and so many options and scenarios of what's happening, but you know, have you seen this idea being attacked more? Not as honestly, not as much. Um, I see, you know, especially for myself as we've gone through this process now, I mean, really this going into, the fourth or fifth year that I've utilized this, we've tried to be more of an adjustable offense. And for example, if we are going into a series where, you know, guys are nothing but, you know, breaking stuff, everything's away, everything's soft away, thumbers away, we've got to be able to handle that. We've got to be able to 
command that outer third of the plate, and we've got to be able to take their game and throw it right back at them. Uh, if it's a team that is poor defensively and they defund, they defend the bunt horribly, at which we've run into a lot of teams, especially in our conference, that can't do that. We've got to be able to do that. And so we talk about this all the time about, you know, being an adjustable offense isn't just about at your game at the plate. It's on the basis. You know, what can you do to throw a guy's rhythm off and to really get under his skin? And so one of the big things, and I would never tell this to anybody else in, in, in our conference, but you know, what we're trying to do is we're trying to basically take your game and get you off your game as quickly and as efficiently as possible. We're trying to frustrate you. And whatever we're whatever we find, whatever we try to to do, I mean our entire game plan is gonna focus around that. And so I think being in an adjustable offense, using those three main components really takes your game and we try and flip it on its head. So if you're if you're a guy that's gonna come out and you're a 94, 95 guy and that's your thing. We're going to be on time with your fastball. We're going to be aggressive on it early, and you know we're not going to miss. And if Cass is a guy who's got a pretty damn good slider, and he's an effective velocity guy who's going to throw up in the zone, like that's we we've got to be able to handle that. And so, um, whatever the game plan is for that specific day, I think a lot of research, uh, which we're pretty good at doing right now, and a lot of just you know, statistical analysis on our opponent, figuring out how they're trying to attack the attack us and then being able to take that and throw it back against them is, is everything in, in my right. opinion. I don't think that I don't think there's enough of that at the big league level to be perfect. I'm with you. you. I'm with you. I, I don't think that, there's any of that. You're at the speaking. Big league you're speaking. There is some. I do know. I actually do know. There some, probably some is. People, yeah, I think there's. Some, right, but it's yeah. definitely not enough. And it's real no. obvious too. the teams that don't do any of it. Right. Yeah. And these teams consistently lose. They consistently make the same mistakes that we see on TV for decades. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Like there's a systematic problem with it. Right. Um I'm with yeah. you on that. I'm with I you couldn't on agree that. with you. I've sat down with some teams to to talk about this, and I mean, Pro Bowl is trying to hire anybody and everybody these days. And I've sat down with certain teams and talked about offensive philosophy and changing the way that we do things. And I mean, everything is very one dimensional right now. I'll tell you that they have one way of scoring and runs. Um, I mean, you could look at certain teams right now. There's one way they're going to score runs, and if they don't. They don't get a home run. They're not going to score a game. They're, they're not going to score at all. I mean, stuff like that. I mean, there's, in my opinion, very little today in the big league game of being an adjustable offense, finding different ways to beat your opponents. And I, I mean, it's I don't follow it from the pitching side as much, but I do know that that you know whether it be game theory or a lot of other things that are being utilized with some you know, upper echelon organizations right now, it's not as widespread as it should be. And I think offensive philosophy is nowhere close to where it should be right now. I I do think hitting in that regard is well behind pitching in in terms of how we're doing things right now, especially at the professional level. So I I couldn't agree with you more. I think you're spot on. Yeah, it's it's fun. I'm I'm sorry. Go ahead, Cass. No, I just, I I, I feel like that's been the case. Like I have been hearing hitting coaches saying that forever. Um, and I don't know. I, I don't, I, I think it's, I, I'm, I'm curious because we look at, we look at, I just said it last night, you know, how many times have we turned on the TV and it's like, why are we throwing fastball after fastball after fastball after fastball? You know, it's not weird to see six, seven fastballs in a row, but like 
people would be outraged if you saw seven curveballs in a row. It's like, right. what, are you, what are we talking about? Like, why is that so much worse? Why? I mean, you see it in amateur ball. If I throw seven curveballs in a row, my, the hitters are going to be bitching at me. Right. right. Yeah. Exactly. And it's like, but at the same time, when I got a team that's fouling off 35 pitches in a game, I'm like, it's the same exact thing. It is. And, and yeah. I, so, yeah. So no, I'm, I'm, I'm talking, I'm, I'm hearing myself say this stuff and I'm like, Oh yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> no, you're, you're spot hit. on. Yeah. You're, you're spot on, man. I, I think you're, uh, you're, you're right there. And we just get back to doing things. I don't know probably because they're easy, probably because the ego in the game has not gotten out of it or coaching at the professional level. Maybe it doesn't get that deep. I, I didn't, I've never played at the big league level, so I couldn't tell you what goes on in those dugouts and those meetings. But uh, uh, I would certainly do things a, a very different way if I could, but I've never been there, so I can't speak to that. Uh, but uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it, it makes me think about um, just like what you were saying, right? You, you gave me your offensive strategy. It was a pretty standard, you know, generic uh, offensive strategy for what it is, obviously individualized per inning and situation. But, um, you know, one of my – the funny things about when we went to the NBC World Series is, is, you know, I did it to show our clients that were with us, these college freshmen and sophomores, like, one, this is a conference tournament is basically what it is. And and the junior college kids seeing what an actual week-long conference tournament looks like, you know, big stage, lights. Um, funny, funny side note, uh, two of the kids the first year we went um, hadn't played under the lights before because in California you just play day games. And so right. I was like, oh, my God, I can't. You're 21 years old and you've been you just went to the middle of America. And this is the first time you pitched at night. Like, that's crazy. And of course, guess what? He did terrible. Right. Wasn't comfortable. <laughs> didn't understand. You know, it was a, he was like, why am I sweating so much? I'm like, humidity. Right. You've you've you sheltered California. Beautiful kid. Right. Like it is what it is. You, you, you've never even crossed this bridge. But it's funny when you give these kids and you equip them, equip them with this information like an ambush team or a team that takes after you get a strike and you realize once you have them in the palm of your hand, you can just stop throwing strikes and they're still going to swing at it, right? That's our favorite part about like getting into the game. And so I remember um, watching this team that we were going to play and I struck out the first three guys to start the game. And I could just tell by the way the first guy was standing up there, he just huge bat waggle, so much movement. And I'm like, dude, this kid's off the rocker. I mean, he must have had three Red Bulls. And so I started started the game off with three change-ups in a row to start off. And he just came out of his shoes and then looks at me, was like, what junk baller? Like he just got mad and yelled at me. And I was like, oh, if this is how it's going to be, like I'm, this is going to be an easy day. Like I don't even have to try. So I ended up going CG, striking out 11. And like I think I threw like 102 pitches. And like I just distinctly remember throwing fastballs up and in on everybody for a ball. And they all swung at it every time. And I was like, you, you guys have no – if you just took two pitches, you'd realize that – I'm not throwing strikes, but nobody's taking pitches at all. They're fouling yeah. everything off because it's moving. They're getting frustrated, right, because they're into the game. I'm walking around the mound doing this, like, half circus act, trying to make them seem like I really, like, into it. But they didn't realize that I'm just baiting them into swinging more, right? Yeah. And so, like, you know, there's this whole mental side of the game that you can actually teach if, if you – break it down to like we said beginning of the game of like what really matters right and it yeah. sounds like we're on the same page with that like can you hit the ball off the wall or over it or are you just gonna you know negative 14 exit below at a thousand you know into the ground like yeah. is that gonna be your your contact point of what you're gonna do you know right yeah yeah i think everything especially for offenses today you gotta find different ways to to beat your opponent because pitchers say you're just 
they're so good. And whether it be pitch tunneling, effective velocity, just straight up velocity, guys like uh, Max Meyer that we had get drafted that could throw 97 to 100 that could just blow you away. You have to find different ways to be able to beat your opponent. And uh, yes, you have to be able to be on time with the fastball, but you've also got to be able to hit the breaking ball. But you've also got to have recognition of the strike zone. You've got to be able to take pitches that are on the outer third, and you got to be able to drive those pitches. I think there's just so much to your game today that you have to be able to do more. And you got to be able to handle different pitches in the strike zone. And so training on that, mechanics, the way that your body moves, and understanding how the body moves and how to hit those pitches. I mean, I can tell you for left-handed hitters and getting that right-handed changeup, I mean, it's the toughest thing in the world. And how to how to spot it and – to, uh, to know that it exists and to be able to pick up that type of spin. But, I mean, what we're really talking about here is discipline. But how do some of the best hitters in the world do it? I mean, you look at guys like, and I know he's cooled down, but like Charlie Blackman. Um, and then you look at the shifts on top top of that today and how can we offset those? I mean, thing, things are hard for hitter, hitters today, but I think that's where we were talking about this earlier. Like, I mean, how can you get – guys to be four-dimensional hitters and how can you get guys that are not just going to think well I'm, I'm going to be able to get you know off off cast I'm going to be able to get a fastball middle in and I'm going to be able to hit this pitch over the wall like there's certain guys that you're just not going to be able to do that off of like Jacob deGrom like everybody's trying to go deep off of Jacob deGrom like it's not going to happen. Like you I'm so glad to you find see it. it too. Like when he gets beat, it's like everybody turns into a slap and it's just flare yeah. choppers and just seeds, you know, on the yeah, ground. That, like, that's yeah, the like, only way that you can beat him. And like everybody's swinging out of their ass against him. <laughs> like it's not going to work. And that's where I'm just like, I, I, I don't know how you think you're going to be able to beat guys like that, but it's just, it's not going to I want to say he threw like 14 cutters in a row between 90 and 95 the other day yeah. and like 14 swing and misses. Yeah, nobody like, could touch it. When, yeah. when is anybody going to take a pitch and just not swing? When yeah, is anybody exactly. going to not swing at it? Like, I get That's, it. It looks juicy, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> That's where I come back to the ego of the game because I just trying to trying to remove your ego from the equation and take certain pitches and have discipline and understand the strike zone, which some guys are really, really, really good at doing, and other guys are just really, really, really bad at it. And <laughs> – I guess at the big league level, it's just totally different when you're dealing with those personalities and those egos and those and certain guys. But, uh, I mean, you look at guys like Trevor Bauer. Like, I love Trevor Bauer because I follow the Reds. And, like, I mean, that dude is on this year. I mean, you're, like, <laughs> yeah. you cannot beat Trevor Bauer if you do not have an unbelievable game plan against him. And, I mean, especially with the way that he commands the strike zone now, like, you have to have totally different approaches against guys like that to try and throw them off their game. Whether, and I hate to say it because hitting coaches across the country, you know, will crucify me for saying it, but I mean, trying to drop down a bond or fi find a way to frustrate them or do whatever it is that you can to try and throw them off his game. Like, right, that's just strategy. You know, yeah, strategy. exactly. We're talking about exactly. strategy. Like, yeah, right. And 100%. you can be mad all you want hitting coaches, but like, you, it's strategy. The score, the name of the game is still score more runs than the other team. Like, yeah, exactly. I couldn't agree with one, you more. One thing that I don't understand, and and I really, I really think it's more than like. I know, like, people always say, like, Kevin Millar cheated his ass off. Gene Larkin always told me, like, lefty, he had a chance. Righty, he had no chance. So he just guessed. He's always cheating. And I'm yeah. like, his, and, and he's always like, I'm always hitting first pitch fastballs. He's like, literally made my career on hitting first pitch fastballs. I'm like, 
why why don't people actually guess and and that's where john talking about the fast slow thing i think it it made me realize I, this is my guess okay i think people are scared to be wrong 10 11 12 15 times in a row and my point is that i think if you have the balls to freaking be wrong that many times in a row there's a real good chance that you're going to get rewarded by being right five times in a row and and now we're hitting 250 and maybe we're hitting 300 because we actually guessed wrong and maybe we had some adjustability in our swing and it's like how many guys are actually that overmatched that if they know that they're coming know what's coming they're not going to hit it right we're talking at your level it starts becoming less and less right, right. and so I, I, I just but i don't know what, what are your thoughts on that because i feel like i, I literally thought you were going to say guessing but you know what I mean? No, you're spot on. That, that That is what it is. It's That's what hitting is, is it's guessing, especially at this level when you're facing guys that are throwing 97 to 100, like you have to guess. Like you, you cannot you just – like, Yeah. Like you, you can't just sit like sit on 97 and then adjust to an 84-mile-an-hour changeup. Like, like it's just not going to happen. You have to sit fastball all the time, but you have to guess. And so what I tell our guys is – 80% of hitting is guessing. It is. The other 20% is execution. Like you have to guess. And that's where the analytics come into the equation. And that's where I think you were talking about, I think it was Paddock or whoever that threw the 2-0 changeups the other day or threw seven, eight fastballs in a row. Like, I mean, if guys are doing that and you have numbers to substantiate that, like you have to be able to not only guess, guess right, but be on time with those guesses. And so, yeah, I mean, especially at our level, like you have a one out of three chance, which is actually pretty good when it comes to hitting up guessing right most of the time in college baseball, because there's only, I mean, he's only going to throw three pitches for strikes. And so a lot of what I tell our guys is, and this is at the college level, but I mean, how often are pitchers going to throw breaking pitches for strikes? I, I say less than 40%, especially with the numbers that we have. And I mean, at the big league level, and I don't know if this is true or not, but our pitching coach always says it, guys are going to miss their spot more than 60 70 percent of the time i mean that couldn't doesn't agree. mean that couldn't agree more couldn't agree more yeah yeah, miss that's all David, right? Ty miss all yeah. The, yeah that's miss yep that's time the they miss all they the miss time. all the time they and really they do and so as hitters you know we have to be really good at guessing but that's all about approach that's all about going in there with the right offensive philosophy and saying hey we're going to get after john today because the, the dude throws 75% of fastballs and he's going to live middle, middle away. I don't know if that's what you did, but I'm just, I'm just speculating. And like, you have to guess, like you have to set your eyes. My life we're talking about like who's calling my <laughs> or, what, or what kind of fastball. <laughs> yeah. Really. Right. But I mean, that's what yeah. it is. Like you've got to set your eyes to a specific part of the strike zone and you've got to guess like, this is where I'm going and it is what it is. And I'm going to sell out to get this pitch, but I mean, really, what else are you going to do if a guy throws 97 and he's got nasty stuff and he's got three pitches that he can spin a ball, he can spin it away, he can go upstairs? I mean, he, you have to guess. I mean, there's you can't just react to that type of stuff today. I mean, you have like 150 to like 250 milliseconds to make that type of reaction. Like, I mean, it's just it's too hard. I mean, hitting's way so too that's, hard. So, that's where the fast oh, slow comes to, to to me right there. Right. So. Um, to me, uh, I, I you know, there's there's a fast, medium, slow too, but that's a whole different conversation. But as simple as you can make it right now, fast, slow, 
right? Anything but a fastball is slow, right? And so right. you run into these scenarios and these really high probability sequences of pitches, especially in four when you look at it, right? The most right. common one you're going to see in the game is fast, fast, slow, slow. It's the most common, right? Especially yeah. young kids grow up. Everybody says establish a fastball. You know, you throw a fastball. You throw it for a strike, great. You throw the second one, it's a ball, one, one, right? So you, yeah. if you right. teach this from the beginning, then you can start throwing these prob probability scenarios out to the hitters or to the pitchers. Like, okay, we know these guys – take till they get a strike, right? So we're going to attack the strike zone. But then again, they may be on modified is what I remember it's called, right? So you have the option of swinging first pitch if that's what you're going to do, sell out, see the fastball. Otherwise, you're going to take till 2-0 or attack 3-1, right? That's right. an actual strategy of what guys are doing. So if, you know, I remember when I was in college, um, I threw a CG against uh, Montevallo and I distinctly remember like picking up that like they were not swinging first pitch. And like we came in in the first inning and told coach, I go, we're going to throw it right down the middle first pitch and I'm not going to try. And then we're going to bounce a slider second pitch. And I guarantee you they're going to swing it. Cause I can just <laughs> see that on the shoulder. Yeah. Like they're not doing anything. Right. And I would just be like, you know, right in there. And then right after that, comes up the body starts moving and everything and i'm like this is crazy i can't believe so man, throw the snap it off there's a ground ball i'm like jesus like i i feel like i figured everything out right well then you, right. you know you realize like what you're saying you got to come up with different strategies so you know even in high school i remember like baiting pitching coaches at you know six four hitting four hole pitcher first base shortstop kind of athlete right so i would take g hacks on on deck and then g hacks right before i get in the box what do you think i was gonna see first pitch Probably a first pitch fastball. No hammer. First really? pitch. I mean, if I'm I'm taking just absolute man hacks right on deck, right? I'm hitting oh, four. I, oh, you're the guy. Four. Okay, so you're the guy it's on me. deck. I'm the hitter. Okay. I'm the hitter. I got you. I'm the hitter. Okay, right? Yeah. So yeah, he's gonna see a first ball, Right. There's no way this guy's gonna be right. He's sitting fastball for sure. Well, sure enough, I hit it's like. 12 home runs off breaking balls. Now, granted, with the old bats and a little bit short field, but I'm baiting this adult in as a high school player to throw me what I want, right? And so, oh, he, yeah. right? so he throws yeah. that first pitch. Let's say it's down. I can't reach it, right? Well, what's coming next? Probably another breaking ball, I'm guessing. Right, right. Probably another breaking ball. Yeah. Because he knows I'm sitting fastball. So I just yeah. would sit – Breaking ball, first two pitches. Now, if you threw a fastball, I would just take it like I was going to go at it. Like I just had yeah. this strategy. So then what's coming second pitch? Probably a breaking ball. Probably another breaking right? ball. Yeah, probably another breaker. So, like I just learned how to hit the breaker early and then started seeing like, you you know, you hear these stories like Manny Ramirez would make himself look stupid in his first at bat against breaking balls and then come up his second or third time up in a big situation and hit a bomb out and bait the guy into it. You yeah, know, exactly. And, and, yep. and so that, those are the kind of things that I hear in a lot of the you know big leaguers that I played with. They would just tell these stories about like, you know, Romo tells a story about facing uh, Miguel Cabrera. And then I think he just did the at bat on a podcast somewhere. And it's exactly he was like, he goes, I throw the slider. He chases with his feet. I knew he was kind of sitting on it. So then I throw like two fastballs in a row and I hadn't thrown a fastball the whole game, like the whole series. And like he sneaks two eighty nines in on the black and. Cabrera gets like confused about it, you know, and he's like, you know, what, where did these, where did these two fastballs come from? You know, yeah. and he waited to the end of the world series to do it. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. It's all strategy. When, 
right when when john started sharing this stuff with me of just like fast slow and and talking about um just like i mean you 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 get out of the country and, and it was always the stories about him playing in mexico and then you talk to guys who played across seas and it's like the these people are literally playing for their life like today like i need to save my life today you know also you know there's what two-week contracts the whole thing so what i was always thinking of is like if i'm facing edina right I know what the kids are like and I know who's coaching them. And it's like, why don't we coach these things? Right. Is it the same thing? If you're playing like a, a team from the sticks, it's like, it's so easy to understand that, but we don't, we don't open the kids eyes to these things. And, and, and again, I think it's the same thing of guessing. It's like, I, and this is me maybe projecting, but I had the fear as a coach of giving them wrong information. And it's like, I don't want to tell you that St. Thomas is going to throw 95% fastballs away all day long because they might throw 75% fastballs away. You know, I'm not, right. that's, that's not literal, but you guys do throw a shit ton of fastballs and you're still a you guy. And, um, <laughs> yeah. but you know what I mean? It's like, why not? And the same token, it's like, I saw Hamlin who's very fa fastball, 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 fastballs up, fastballs up. Like, as, so we saw, we see guys throwing 75, 75 miles an hour, but they're throwing all junk. We suck. It's like, that doesn't make any sense. You know, and it goes back to you teaching them to be adjustable and yada, yada, yada. But uh, moral of the story here is I just think kids actually know their opponents really, really well. They're great at judging. They're really good at knowing what that person actually is. And if you have a bad read on them, they beat you like who cares right. but more often yeah. than not it's this information that's right at the tip of your fingers if you simplified it into fast slow and said hey i'm facing uh i should use a different one but i mean even you like i'm facing i'm not you i'm facing max meyer like i i, I don't want to be facing him like i'm going to be facing him a lot differently but also he's got fighting necklaces he's got the backwards like he's got the whole thing so that's something that i'm going to take into consideration um, right. I coached against him when he was a sophomore, by the way. And and I want to ask you this before we leave. I know this is off in left field, so we can come back to this. How the hell do you get Max Meyer? <laughs> uh, long story. I, I, so or guys I like was... him, right? Like, how do you get Matt Fielder? How are you getting guys to stay in? Because the biggest thing I, I saw from being critical is like, there were a lot of guys that left. You You don't get Logan Shore, right? You don't get some of the better talent. You're getting some of the better talent. What, what the <laughs> hell are you doing, Pat? <laughs> well, I think, uh, number one, it, it comes back to those relationships that we were talking about earlier. Um, Max actually played for me when I was a volunteer, and I needed to find a way to make some money. So we started a prospect team, and uh, he was on it when he was 15. And um, nobody recruited him out of high school, at least not initially. <laughs> And I loved him because of the way that he competed. And he was a little guy. He was like me. He was my size. And he didn't pitch at the time. He, he was no. a hitter. He was a second baseman. Yeah, he was a shortstop, second baseman. Yep. And everything he did, like he was diving headfirst into second. Like he was a good little left-handed hitter. Like he was just competitive. He was mean. And he was like what John was talking about earlier, like, he would strike a guy out or get a guy get get the hit off a guy and like he would stare him down and he was smaller than everybody else so like he was he had that competitiveness to him but he was also a hockey player too 
So he had kind of that mean streak to him. And then as time went on, like, obviously he blossomed into a pitcher, but just like his personality, his attitude, like you fall in love with it. And like the same thing with Matt Fiedler, like Fiedler wasn't all too different from Max, other than the fact that Max threw 100 and Matt, you know, feeds through 93, 94. But, um, you know, both of them had very simpler, uh, very uh, similar temperament. They both had the same attitude, competitiveness. And uh, I mean, I kind of gravitate towards guys like that. And I think you get with these kids when they're younger and you find, you know, that thing that, as you know, that I think Verdugo had that where he could get a, you know, get some buy-in immediately. Like he's, I don't want to throw him in the same PJ Fleck category, but he could talk to you, you know? And I think that's everything is finding that I love I love Dugo. He's not PJ Fleck. I love Dugo, but he's not PJ Fleck. <laughs> no, for, for the record, he different. just, he got, he got us to be a bunch of bastards like Tony yeah. Rogers in right field. Like that dude never, that kid never hit a ball, not on his front foot. But he cut. Speaking of Saint Olaf, he had eleven putouts in Saint Olaf. Eleven putouts. What? There's there's twenty one in this game. Like yeah. it's crazy. But yeah, it, it sorry, is. not to PJ Fleck. No, but like level. guys that could motivate you and guys that right. uh, you would you'd buy into. And uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think having that personality and that relationship is huge when it comes to recruiting. And uh, I mean, I have to ask Max that. Um, I mean, Max would be a uh, a pretty good judge of. Uh, what he saw right away and why he came here but uh, same thing with feeds but yeah we're doing a better job of getting those kids in here trying to appeal to them a little bit more but I think the technology and trying to keep the program you know 21st century and uh, yeah you know giving them what they want I think that's huge and uh, you got to be able to relate to kids today and I think that's everything I think there's yeah. a, a little piece right there for something you said before. And I want to ask you a question because I feel like this is a major thing for maybe some of the recruits or some people that are, that are watching this. And you, you mentioned some of the technology, right? Yeah. Um, help me. I just help. I want to ask you about your recruiting process just real quick. If you could send blast data, hit tracks, data, video analysis, rap Soto data ahead of time. And you're, and you're trying to impress a school. Like, is, is that valuable to you guys? Uh, kind of. Um, I mean, I, I, it comes back to if you can play. And, um, I mean, you can have, as I've seen with a lot of kids, you can have the best data, you can have the best metrics, but if you cannot perform, if you cannot be a winner, and I, that's the word I'm going to use is if you are a winner and you can go out there and produce and get results. And we have had a lot of conversations with our own um, – the coaches on our staff about this, Ty and I specifically, everything in life is really about results. I mean, everything is, I mean, it, I, I mean, sorry. I mean, it is, I, I know we talk a lot about the process and we get our guys to buy into that process, but at the end of the day, it comes down to results. And I mean, wherever you go, if you do not produce results in the real world, you're going to get fired. And if you do not produce results at the big league level, you're going to get told to go somewhere else, regardless if you're Max Meyer or you're a 19th rounder, you know, from, you know, San Quinto junior college, like it doesn't matter whoever produces and whoever gets the results, regardless of their process, regardless of their metrics, whoever produces the results is going to succeed and is going to continue to move on. And you see at the big league level, I mean, you were there, it's the guys that produce. And so whoever does that is going to continue to move on. And so, uh, you look for that at the high school level. You look for the dominating player. And 
Is that valuable information? Sure, it's a part of the equation, but it's not everything. And I think some kids think that it's everything today. Like, I have 110 exit velo off the tee. Like, I should be recruited. Well, no, you better be hitting 450 to 500 at the high school level because, like, if you're striking out 30, 40, 50% of the time in high school baseball, like, those numbers are going to multiply just like they would, you know, from college to the minor leagues. And so, I mean, everything plays into the equation. It's their grades. It's their character. It's, I mean, a ton of different things that, uh, you know, it's going back to one of the questions that you asked earlier, Cass, was, you know, what's one of the first things that you do? And I forgot to mention this. I give every kid a back test. Uh, Do you know what that is? It's a visual, auditory, kinesthetic test. And you find out which way that they listen the best. And for a lot of kids today, it's visual. And for our parents, it was auditory, you know, it was stuff through the, the radio or, you know, reading or auditory books or whatever, you know, like that's really so, interesting. Or, you know, and the other thing I give them is a personality test, you know, which what one? type of person, uh, the color one. Have you seen that one? You, you give them a personality test and they test into a specific color. So like red is guys that are really good with girls and, you know, they're very, you know, passionate about things. And then some guys are yellow and then some guys are green. And then they have these different types of characteristics that match up to what type of personality that they have. And then you tie that in with how they're best suited to listen or take in information visually, kinesthetically, auditorily. And so uh, that, that type of stuff is extremely valuable, but uh, you know, that, that type of stuff has, has been huge for, for me and figuring out the ways that they listen best and take in information. So honestly, to come full circle here, I'd like to find out their personality as much as I'd like to know their metrics uh, on some of these guys, because that shows me how I can relate to them and what type of personality they have, but also what type of listeners they are and what type of interests they have. I mean, that, that stuff is just as valuable to me as, as metrics are as we get into the recruiting process. I, I love how that, that, question and answer transition so well through that right yeah. that was really cool i love the personality thing so um that's interesting because i think that's exactly what we feel about it is like some of these testing modalities just don't make sense to me right like yeah i'd rather send you um i'd rather send you real rap soto hitting data of a guy in a live at bat be like check this guy's out we yeah. did a we did a live at live at bat indoor league his average velo is exit below 78 right launch angles this this but check out his hard hit percentage check out you know he did this against lefties he did this against righties he didn't strike out as much he actually he played the game right yeah and so you know, help me with with this. I have a little theory on this side of it. Is um, I, I think that you know, I, a good way to sum up you know power and hitting is just like average ball batted distance, right? I, I think that yeah. Mike Trout. One of the reasons why Mike Trout is is the most valuable player that you know besides he hits the ball, but I, I feel like his average batted ball distance is just higher than anybody else because I always see it in the air. I always see it flying over three twenty, something like that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. rarely does he get out front top of ball and, and hit a chopper. You know what I yeah. mean? And, and, right. and so, yeah. you know, being able to explain that with data as well is, is I think that that side of it is going to be coming around and more and more. I mean, you talked about TrackMan. I mean, that's on our radar too for our new facility of what we're trying to do. And I think their latest unit does pitching and hitting at the same time, which I think is yeah. just tremendous for, for, does it? T- 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure it does. No, yeah. Pat, seems you nodding like you got it. No, I've I've heard that uh, the new units because we have the okay. Raps Auto hitting that we used in uh, in our indoor last year, and it was extremely effective. And I do know just from Tide being able to deal with those guys a little bit that the next unit that they're coming out with is going to be able to encapsulate both of them. I mean, I mean everything is with technology today. I mean, I mean hit tracks should be able to give you RPMs off you know off the bat, you know stuff like that, and seeing how you're spinning the ball as hitters and. Uh, John, like what you're talking about, like the the stuff about trout, like basically well hits, like tracking those and getting them from live in game at bats, like that is the most valuable data that you can get. Who hits the ball the hardest? And so, like when we go to certain places that don't have TrackMan data, you know, and how do we record at bats? We basically do it off of what we call well hits. And I don't give anybody a well hit who hits the ball on the ground, uh, never. Um, so, you know, what is the well hit percentage? Um, you know, how many quality of bats are they getting? You, you need to put that on a shirt tomorrow. Like, well, we put, nobody's it, we put it in our hitting facility. Yeah, it's it's in there. It's uh, I, I had a stat in there because we've got a big whiteboard. So it's um, I think it was like it's like seven percent or like six percent of extra base hits are hit on the ground or something like that. It's something like super, super low. And I've got it in big, bold letters on our, in our hitting facility is, I think it's 4%. It's 4% of ground balls turn into extra base hits. So 96% of the time, the ball better be in the air or you're not going to be able to do very much at the plate. So um, no, it's uh, getting back to your t-shirt thing. We've, we've got a ton of those sayings on our board and, and our hitting facility. So uh yeah, it's that's common. The t-shirt should be next though. Should it should be our uh <laughs> it's funny. Our I'm, VP top, I'm wearing I'm wearing our motto right now. It's funny, but we tell this to kids all the time. And it's like you need to be a pitching gangster like on the mound <laughs> pretty good. when you're going out there because like I like that. You, you're not trying to let anybody hit the ball. Like this isn't charity. Right. Like you don't you don't get to just step into the box and just do whatever you want. That's not what's right. happening today. Exactly. You know, and yeah. so like Teaching that idea is is important to us and what we're trying to do. And and as we venture into hitting too, like it's the same thing. Like the there's so thing. much yep. right. There's so much to the game of of that that really is fun. Like it's we said this the other day too. Like isn't it funny that we just stop playing it? Yeah, uh, yeah. Like what? It's it's one of the greatest games in general, like ever made. And like we just stop playing it. You get too busy. Life happens. Stuff like that. I mean, yeah. obviously we're in the industry, but you talk to these people, and it's like, oh well, I wasn't right. good enough. And it's like, well, why do you have to stop playing the game? Like the game is still there. Yeah, like, exactly. Itself. I know. You know. Hey, well, Minnesota. There are age. some freaking. But there are some freaking lifers in amateur baseball oh, in Minnesota. Yeah. So oh, speak yeah. for yourself, we, yeah. John Sintez. Like, well, I'm just saying, as the masses, I've, like I've, if you look yeah, at the percentage drop, what it is. But no, I'm with you. I mean, I'm a lifer. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm planning on throwing 90 till I'm 40. Let's. I mean, I, I've seen too many guys do it. I saw, I saw 100 at 41, and it was the craziest thing I ever seen. And then I just talked really? to the guy and he found me. Yeah, all he's ever done is thrown 100 since he was 18. Like, it's the craziest thing. Like, it just makes so much sense. Like, oh, I'll just get to 100, stay at 100, and just keep throwing 100. Like, yeah, oh, you just never yeah. stop throwing in the 22 right. years that you've been professional baseball. It's like, you just, that's, that's pretty cool. Did. Right? That's pretty awesome. 141. That's pretty, that's, that's awesome. Right. And degenerate, degenerate, degenerate genetic freak. That's the only way I can explain it. Like, 
He yeah, would shuffle fire. He would shuffle fire from home plate after a long toss. And if he couldn't throw it out of center field, then he wouldn't pitch that day. <laughs> that's a that's a unique way to go about it. That's right. That's and he'd be like, uh, cool. I'm I'm down. Went three days in a row. I'm down today. Like he just wouldn't throw in the game. I'm like, dude, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like after BP, he'd go over there, just cold. We're just chilling, and he would just rip one. And I every day I would just watch it in winter ball. I'd be like, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> And it that would sail. Crazy. It would just sail out. I'd be like, "All right, guess he's playing today. Guess, guess I'm not in the eighth. Guess, <laughs> guess, guess I'm in the eighth today. I'm not in the ninth, right?" <laughs> yeah, that is pretty nuts. Cass, we didn't see that too much in the Mayak. We didn't see guys being able to to throw balls like that. Man, that's uh, that's pretty unique, dude. Yeah, it's Mayak is a is a whole different thing, but. Yeah. Well, hey, we've been rocking an hour and a half, so I don't want to eat up too much more of your time. It's getting a little late over here, but man, this has been awesome. Um, you know, I want to I want to extend the uh, invitation whenever you uh, make your way over to San Diego. Um, please hit us up, man, and we'd love to show you the spot. I mean, we, we yeah, started construction definitely will. on it this week, and we'll be putting a bunch of really good YouTube content and stuff out from there. I think I think there's a way to do it where it's fun, right? It should be yeah. fun. Yeah, absolutely. No, I appreciate it. It was uh, it was good to get on here and talk a little bit, and uh, look forward to uh, following up with you guys later on. I appreciate for uh, for having me on. Thank you so much, Pat. Why yeah, don't you, uh, you just guys. sign off for us real quick? Let everybody know how if anybody's interested in reaching out to you or anything. Like, how can they do that? And you know, anything else you want to say? Yeah, just uh, by by email. Um, I'm not sure if you have that cast, but it's uh, it's, it's Casey three seven zero at umn.edu if there's any questions and um, yeah, I mean, feel free to reach out with any questions or, um, or anything in general, uh, anything I can do to help promote hitting offensive philosophy and what you guys are teaching the fast slow is, is awesome. I, it's very similar to what we teach our guys about, you know, there's two different ways that they're going to be able to get you out. They change speeds, they change location and having the the mindset, the mechanics, and the approach to uh, to offset that same thing that you guys are talking about, whether it's being pitching gangsters or having a wolf pack mentality, it's uh, it's very much the exact same. So uh, if there's any questions, feel free to reach out. And uh, thanks again for having me, guys. I appreciate it. It was a pleasure, man. So I appreciate man. it. Definitely. Yeah, thank you, guys. All right. Well, so thanks, nice guys. Talking. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And if you need anything else, let us know. Awesome, man. All right.